ladies and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. For the 78th Psalm. Psalm 78. If you have a Schofield Bible, it's page 637. Psalm 78. I want to speak to you from verse number 19 as the Lord leads me tonight. Here's a tremendous text of Scripture, and I pray the Lord shall enable me to uh, get it over to you, and we can get something from it and glean something from it that may help us in the Lord. I heard on a cassette tape the other day a colored preacher uh, bring a message on open windows. And he used Daniel praying before those open windows. And, oh, I saw those open windows and as a result of that sermon in a clearer way than I've ever seen it before in all my life. And I marvel at that colored preacher and thank God for that good message that I heard on the cassette. But here's a text that I'd like to impress upon your minds tonight. And I hope now that you'll pray with me and give me your attention as you, as you listen. Let's not have any more moving about. You young folks sit right down now and, and listen for the next few minutes to the message. And uh, you young mothers now, if you want to carry your babies to the nursery upstairs, air conditioning, you can see in here downstairs. We have an attendant. Be glad to take care of your little fella. And you can come on back to the auditorium and sit down and enjoy the message and the service. And then you can go back and pick the little fella up after the preaching hour. Feel free to use the nurseries if the need should arise. Now, in Psalm 78, we find uh, something of a recounting of the greatness of Almighty God. And brethren, let's, let's drive a stick down right at that particular point before I go one step further. I think it's always good for me and you to remember, uh, the God we serve and recognize how great he is. I'm afraid that sometimes in our day, the Almighty is neglected, the Almighty is played down, and uh, he's not extolled, his name is not magnified, his power is not magnified, the miracles of the Bible are sometimes not only not magnified, but sometimes outright denied. And that's a tragedy. The Lord, not to me. I, I believe God's a great God. With God, there should be nothing impossible. I believe you and I ought to teach the greatness of God to our children. The little fellows, the juniors, and the intermediates in our church ought to be read up on a diet of the miraculous. And uh, anything the Bible teaches, we ought to teach to our children. Any miracle recorded in the Bible, we'll teach it to our children. And I want to teach it to them as a story. You know, sometimes I think we tell the stories of the Bible to our children, and we tell them in such a fashion until our children come to recognize them only as a story. I never will forget when I visited the Valley of Elah, and that's where the great contest between the Philistines and the people of Israel took place when, when David killed the giant Goliath. Uh, it was a fascinating experience when we drove the bus across one of the mountains and down into the valley. And the mountains, I doubt, if they were over a half a mile apart. Here's a mountain over on this side, and here's a mountain on this side of the valley, and the little valley right in the middle. And you know the story in the Bible, how the Philistines were gathered on one mountain, and the Israelites were gathered on another mountain. And the two mountains were so close together 
until the Philistines could cry out across the valley, and the Israelites could hear them, and the Israelites could cry out across the valley, and the Philistines could hear them. And that conversation had gone on, and, and Goliath the giant had come out and defied the people of Israel, defied the God of Israel. And uh, oh, we've heard that story all of our lifetime. But it's more than a story, it's an actual event that literally transpired in the record of God's holy word. And when I drove into that valley and saw that mountain, and saw how close the two mountains were together, I remembered how they uh, talked back and forth across the valley and how the giant walked out between the mountains and defied Israel and defied the God of Israel. And then I remembered how little David said to his bigger brothers who were soldiers in the uh, Israelite army, why don't some of you fellows stop that man's mouth? And they said, you go back home and start minding your sheep. Why, they said, nobody's able to take on that fellow. He's nine foot tall. He weighs about 350 pounds, and, and he'd uh, he'd make sausage out of us, they said, in our paraphrase, of course. But you know, David got upset about that thing. And he said, now, I think something can be done. I believe our God's able to handle that situation. And you know those stories from that old, from that old. Now, we ought to tell our children that story. But we ought, while we tell it, to tell them that the way David conquered Goliath the giant was by the power of God. And we ought to bring God into the picture and say, now, boys and girls, uh, God did that. God gave to David the victory. And there was no way in the world that you could have gotten the victory any other way. God's a great God. And I'd like to go on record tonight as saying to you that I believe every miracle recorded in the Bible. Now, that's treason in some religious circles. But you can call it what you may. I believe every miracle recorded in the Bible. I wouldn't say that I could understand all the miracles. I'm not able to tell you how all of them happened. But I believe every miracle happened exactly as the Bible records, including the death of Goliath by young David, little David, as he killed that mighty giant of the Philistines, and all the other miracles. Now, you, if you read the 78th Psalm, beginning with the verse, first verse, you'll find that uh, the psalmist recounts step by step and miracle by miracle and point by point the mighty miracles God had performed among the people of Israel and in the history of the people of Israel uh, from their birth right up until this particular point. Among these uh, great things that he talked about, look at verse number 12, marvelous things did he uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt. And I preached about that a little bit in the morning hour. He divided the sea, verse 13. He caused them to pass through on dry ground. He more made the waters to stand up on either side as a heap. And in the daytime he led the people of Israel by a cloud. In the nighttime he led them by a pillar of fire. And all of that is recorded in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, and some of the other books of the Bible. These great miracles are recorded. And I believe that God literally did all the things. In verse number 15, uh, the psalmist reminds them that God gave them drink. Out of a flinty stone, out of great depth, God brought forth water to satisfy their thunger, a hunger out of flinty stone. And on and on, uh, he recounts and recalls the great miracles of God among the people of Israel. Well, that's the God we serve. The God the psalmist is, uh, is seeking to extol is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the God I bow to every time I get up on my knees. And when I say, my heavenly Father, I address the same God 
that the psalmist is extolled. And I don't believe God changed one bit. I believe he has the same attributes, the same glory, the same power, the same honor, the same dominion, the same might that he's always had. I don't think that he shall ever be when the power of God will become diminished, when the glory of God will fade away, when the throne of God shall become unoccupied. When the enemies of God shall travail, I believe God shall always be victorious. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's God to me. Now, we need to tell the stories in the Bible. But tell our boys and girls that God's a great God. And nothing is impossible with the Lord. Luke 1, 47. God can do anything, anytime he so desires to do so. For with God there should be nothing impossible. Now, that's a great God, but that's the God of the Bible. And I don't think you and I ought to hesitate one moment in making these statements of our faith in that kind of a great God. I don't think the Lord needs my apology. I don't think God needs my defense. I think the Lord needs my uh, my faith in him. I think he's honored by that. Then I think God needs my allegiance. He's honored by that. And then God needs me to proclaim, he needs my voice, to proclaim what a great God he is. And if they ever need, or ever ever come, when I need vindication, then all the claims that I might make about God, when I need to be vindicated, God can vindicate my faith and my preaching uh, just as easily as he vindicated any prophet in the old Bible. I don't think God's going to let me down. I've been talking all my life and preaching all my life about a great God who can do anything. I don't think God will let me down. And I'd be sorely disappointed if God failed me. And I can give testimony for 47 years at least up until this moment. God has never failed me one time. And I don't believe God shall ever fail me when I come to the last moment of my life. And my breath becomes difficult. And my life is headed away. I believe God shall stand by me in that last moment more real than he's ever made himself to me in all the days of my sojourn. God never failed me. And nobody in the building could stand up and claim God failed you either. If you know the Lord. No, he's a great God. And he'll not disappoint you. Not a promise spoken in all the pages of God's word has ever been broken. Now I want you to look at my text in verse number 19. Yea, they spake against God, these Israelites, of all the people who should have believed. And yet they spake against God. You and I can kind of expect the Philistines to speak against God. All that Goliath the giant said as he made fun of the God of Israel, we expect that of the Philistines. We expect that of the world in our day. The worldly wise of our day, we don't expect them to sing Amazing Grace. You and I do, but we don't expect them to join in. I extol the greatness of God, but I'm not expecting the world to come and stand by me and say amen while I extol the greatness of God. They never have done that, and they won't do it now. But of all the people who ought to extol the greatness of God, it ought to be me and you. 
And in Israel's day, in the psalmist's day, the people who should have known the greatness of God should have been Israel above all the people of the earth. And yet verse 19 reminds me that they spake against God. Isn't that tragic? They spake against God. Now, I'm not surprised at anything a liberal or modernist may say about the Bible. I long since have gotten case hardened to many things that I read in religious publications and in the newspapers. I can expect most anything from a man that's a liberal or an apostate or a modernist. And they come up with some of the wildest ideas I've ever heard of in my life. And I'm not in the least surprised. But I would become surprised if some fundamentalist came up with these ideas. Of all the people who ought to believe God, it's me and you. We claim to be fundamentalists, Bible believers. And we honor Jesus and believe that Jesus is the Savior. Oh, me and you of all ought to believe God. And yet here's Israel, God's covenant people, God's chosen people, God's delivered people. Miraculously and completely, they were delivered from the land of Egypt, as I pointed out in the morning hour. And yet those same people spake against God. Verse 19. Look at that verse again. Yea, they spake against God. And they said, Can God? Can God? Now, take your pencil and put a line under those two words. Can God? That's the question. And down through the years, men have said, can God? And I want us to turn it around. And fundamentalism allows me and you to turn those words around, and we can say, God can. The world says, can God? And me and you who are fundamentalists say, God can. But the world says, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Now that's my text. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Now you know the context, you know the story behind the words of my text. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? The people of Israel by this time have crossed the Red Sea. The waters have come together and drowned the armies of Pharaoh. And here they are now on the Canaan side of the Red Sea, headed toward Israel. And they could have gone into the land in about ten days had they only believed the Lord. They made ten days of a rapid journey across the desert to Kedash Barnea. And when they got to Kedash Barnea, Moses and Joshua sent the twelve spies. And the twelve spies crossed Jordan and spied out the land of Canaan, the land of promise. They saw the land flowing with milk and honey and pomegranates and grapes. But they also saw that the Philistines were like giants. And they said, we are but as grasshoppers in their sight. And those twelve spies came back over uh, Jordan to the wilderness and they said to these uh, Israelites, we might as well capitulate and forgive it, give it up. We are not able to possess the land. It's a wonderful land. In fact, they brought back some of the glories of that land. It's a wonderful land. All that we've heard about Canaan is so. 430 years, they've been out of Canaan. And they've been hearing about Canaan and talking about Canaan all these 430 years. And these 12 spies said, everything we've ever imagined is more abundantly true than we've ever concluded. But they said, we can't take it. The children of that land are like giants in our, in our size. We are but as grasshoppers. And so they said, we might as well go back to Egypt and consent ourselves, consent ourselves with a grave in the land of Egypt. Ten of them. They gave it up. They said, can God, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? 
Now, we can't do it. We may as well give it up. And you know the story. They believe the report of the ten. The two, uh, Joshua and Caleb, said, we're well able, let's cross over. But the minority report was rejected. They accepted and received the majority report, and they turned away from Kirash Baria to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. So long did they wander until Moses died. He never put his foot into Canaan's land. So long did they wander in the wilderness until every adult of a twenty died. Not one of them put their feet in the promised land with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. Turn up, they said, furnish a table in the wilderness. Now let me turn back. What are they going to do? Here's 40 years. They didn't know at that time that it would be 40, but it was 40. How are they going to live? They had neither goods nor substance. And the wilderness was barren and unproductive. They had no tools with which uh, to cultivate the ground had they had the rain. And had they had the, the ground to cultivate. What can they do? They'll starve to death. Now if you read the rest of the 78th Psalm, you'll find some of the things that God did in furnishing a table for those people in the wilderness. Uh, you remember how God sent the manna, that little wafer, and they didn't know what it was, they'd never seen anything like it, and I'm not having a name for it, they called it manna, which means, what is this? But it tasted like bread with honey on it, a little round, sweet-tasting wafer. And for 40 years those people lived on that bread from heaven. Uh, angel's food is called in the 78th Psalm. Angel's food. That's what it is. And God sent that angel's food down from heaven to feed the people 40 years. Now don't tell Washington they'd have a dying kid if they knew somebody lasted 40 years on, on bread alone. They never would get to uh, apologizing to the people. But here people that had nothing but a bread diet. And that's high in calories, they tell us. And then it's not good for a person. You'll soon get telegraph. You need nothing but bread. But yet people ate bread 40 years. And not one of them got telegraph. But when you eat angels' food, you eat all you want. You'll neither get telegraph nor fat. You'll just be right. When God does something, it's always right, you see. And then you remember how they said, we won't meet. God said, I'll give you quail. And God sent quail. Some of you fellows that love to hunt quail wouldn't have been something if you'd have been around there then. God sent so many quails to the people of Israel until they couldn't put their feet down on the ground except they stepped on a quail. And they had quail in season, out of season. They had all the quail they could ever want. And they tell me, I don't care much for fowl any kind, but they tell me that quail is wonderful meat. Real, somebody said amen on that, real good meat. Some of you love quail. And God sent those Israelites all the quail they could have eaten. Can God? And they said, well, we'll die first. And to top off the miracle, God said, Moses, you smite that stone, that flinty stone. It was not a soft rock, it was a granite rock. You take your, uh, your rod and you smite that stone and I'll give you all the fresh water from the great depth that you'll ever drink. And Moses struck that flinty stone, and a miracle transpired, and out of that flinty stone gushed forth water from great depths, and those people had all the water they wanted. And God finished a table in this wilderness. Now you can't beat a good heavens uh, angel food bread, and some quail, real good quail, and uh, then a nice 
glass of good cool water from great depths, you can't improve on that, my friend. You never have had coffee that tastes better than water from great depths. You never have had meat that tastes better than quail when it sticks just right. And you never have eaten bread that tastes better than angel food. And those Israelites found out that God can furnish a table in the wilderness where everything seems to be impossible, where everything seems to die, when there seems to be no way out, when the people said, let's go back to Egypt and die and be buried in Egypt's land. God said, you Yes, wait, I'll set a table for you in the wilderness. And I want to say to you that God's able to set a table for me and you in 1973. This world looks at me and you and they say, you're crazy. You've got too much religion. You're beside yourself. Some of my relatives feel that way about your past. They had high hopes of me when I started out in the ministry 35, uh, 34 years ago. As a young man of 25, but they've given up all hope. He's gone plumb wild about the Lord. He believes the Bible. He believes the miracles. He's a plumb fanatic. He believes God's able. Amen. I believe God is able, brother. God can set a table in the wilderness for me and you. God can. And God, these Israelites said, can God. Furnish a table in the wilderness. Can God set a table? We'll starve to death. But there is no record that not a one of them starved to death. And there were two million of them in the wilderness for 40 long years. And there is no record that one of them starved to death. All of them died, but so far as we know, they died of natural causes. And not a one of them starved to death. Amen, amen, hallelujah. And I believe God's able yet to feed his people and bless his people and help his people and not one of his people wherever parties are starved to death in the Lord. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Now I say to you, God can. God can. The world says, can God? And we fundamentalists go to bed and sleep at night whispering, God can, God can. The world says, can God? And we sit down and enjoy ourselves and say, God can, God can, God can. The newspapers say, can God? And we come to church and shout and say, God can, God can. Amen, hallelujah. Amen. The world says, old time religion is dead. Can God, they say. And we fundamentally say, God can. Old time religion is not dead. They shall never die. Amen. I get stirred up sometimes and preach like a novice. All right, like I've got gray hair, but But I feel God divine presence in the soul. And how can I have a preach when I feel the presence of God? Glory, hallelujah. God can, God can. <laughs> Call me a novice if you want. I never have gotten over old time religion. And I get the... Amen, brother. Yeah, amen. <laughs> 
God. If somebody slipped in here tonight, he's never been to Tabernacle, you might think we're a bunch of uh, fanatics, sure enough. God can do. The world says, can God? I want to say, God can. First of all, God can save. The world thinks they need a psychiatrist. No, you need Calvary. The world says, do better. God says, come and let me make you over. The world says, lift yourself by your bootstraps. God says, let me wash you clean in the precious blood. God can save. God can save. Can God? God can save. I'm glad I can report that. Is God's arm shortened that he cannot reach down? Is God's ear deafened that he cannot hear? Is God's grace exhausted that he cannot redeem? The day will never be when God cannot save. God can. An unusual thing happened this morning. Is the lady that was here this morning from Greensboro, are you present tonight? Let's see your hand if you're present. The lady from Greensboro, she said she didn't think she could be here. The lady that was here this morning that spoke to me from Greensboro, are you here tonight? All right, I want to tell you a story. I wouldn't tell it an old thing that she was here. A few years ago, I received a letter. I've told the story, but this happened when I'm about to tell you this morning. Right then, about four, five, six years ago, I received a letter from a woman in Greensboro who said, I'm 52 years old, and I'm a dirty, vile, wretched, drunkard, and doper. And she said, I've been married three times and divorced. I had six children. Three of them died in infancy because of a social disease in my body. She said, I'm as dirty and vile as any woman in the city of Greensboro, and I'm so dirty until I had stick to write to you. I didn't want you to handle the paper that I had to handle the right to you. She said, I've broken every one of the Ten Commandments. I never read such a letter in 31 years of the, of the radio. never read such a letter in my life. I sat down at the typewriter with tears and wrote that old reprobate and said, there's a bomb in Gideon. There's a sympathizing Savior. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. 
And I put some good promises in a letter and sent it back to that lady. And you know, she got converted. She said, I've been hearing you on the radio and I don't want to go to hell. There's any hope for me. And she got converted. Wrote to me and told me about it. Six, eight months after she was converted, I was in Greensboro. Pastor friend said, I'll buy you the finest meal can be bought if you'll meet me at 12 o'clock noon Saturday. I met him. We went to the SNW cafeteria. I went through the line, and I told the pastor in detail the story that I've given to you briefly a moment ago. I said, maybe the pastor can visit. Maybe the pastor can baptize this woman. I would love to have done that. But I told the story, and then when I finished telling the story, I discovered that I couldn't remember the lady's name. She had written to me, but I just couldn't recall it. It slipped my mind completely, and I apologized to the pastor and said, I'll write to you and give you the lady's name through the mail. And we were then ready to sit down and grace the table and enjoy the food. A little girl walked up to me and handed me an envelope and said, is this yours? And I looked at the envelope and it said, the Bryce Fellows Post Office Box 4, Greenville, South Carolina. And I said to the little girl whom I'd never seen before, about 12 years old, I said, yes, ma'am, that belongs to the radio. She said, my mother saw you come in. She thinks you're the preacher. She hears over the radio. And she said, if he's the preacher, tell him that uh, this is his for the radio and he can carry it in and I'll have to mail it. And I thanked that little girl politely, courteously. And then before I slipped that envelope in my pocket, I turned and looked on the back. Maybe automatically or maybe accidentally, I just looked on the back. And believe it or not, there was a woman's name that got converted, reprobate. And I said, Pastor, this is a miracle. I forgot her name. Here she is three tables away. We had no idea she was anywhere in the area. Three tables away, the soul reprobate. I left my food, left my pastor friend, his wife, another man, his wife. And I went over and sat down with that old reprobate. Greeted her in the name of Jesus. And she got talking about how good it was to be saved. Great big old tears ran down her face and I got happy. I sat on one side of the table laughing. She sat on the other side crying. I don't know what people thought. They walked through the cafeteria and saw her crying and me laughing. But we had a camp meeting there for a minute or two. We said, preacher, you ashamed to sit down with that woman? What God cleanses, let no man call unclean. And I sat down with that old reprobate. That's been six years ago. We had a, about a ten-minute visit. In the cafeteria, just rejoiced in the Lord. But today, a woman walked up to me right there and said, Do you know me? I said, No. I said, Seems I've, I seems I've seen you, but I couldn't call your name if my life depended upon me. She pressed a five dollar bill in my hand and said, I want to give that to you for the radio. Then she said, Do you remember receiving a letter from a woman 52 years old? who said she was an awful sinner, and I stopped and I said, you? She said, yes. She said, I just wanted to come to see and visit the church. And she came by, came to Tabernacle just to visit and to see the pastor that preached the gospel to her by radio that God has saved. She's 60 years old, I guess now, and I put my arms about her and pulled her up to her and hugged her real good in that right here this morning in the pulpit and said, God bless you. And with tears and eyes this morning, she said, it's still good. <laughs> Can God not Amen. God found that old reprobate eight years ago and saved that and then brought it here today to confirm that she's still saved by the grace of God. Amen. Hallelujah. It's enough to make a Presbyterian shout. Isn't that wonderful that God did that for me this morning? 
And she said, I, I said, I wish you'd stay for the service tonight. I'd like to introduce you. I wanted to introduce you, uh, her to you. She said, no, I have to be going on. But I just wanted to come and see Tabernacle. First time she'd ever been here. And she sat in the preaching aisle this morning. I had no idea if she's in the building. Can God? God can save. Second, God can sustain. God can keep what we commit to it. God can sustain. God can keep you from falling. Somebody said, preach, I'd get saved if I thought I could hold out. If you get saved, you will. No question in my mind about it. I told, I preached the other day to folk and I said some, I said the Presbyterians call it perseverance. And I said Baptists call it eternal security. And I said holy people call it holding out faithful. I said you can call it what you may, but when you get saved, you got it. God can sustain you. God will keep you. And you'll not lose it. That woman, that old reprobate this morning, still fresh in love with Jesus, and told me so as she pressed that five dollar bill into my hand for the radio. Isn't that wonderful? God can sustain. So preach, aren't you afraid this crowd will forsake you? Uh, they might forsake me, but they won't forsake God, that's for sure. If you get born again, God will keep you by his power. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's able to sustain you through every mile of the wilderness wandering. Not a one of you will be lost. God will keep you by his power. He's able to sustain you. The old devil will breathe all kinds of threatenings at you. And the old devil will say, you'll never make it. But the devil's a liar, and God will keep every child that's ever been birthed. God will keep them by his power until the last one ever survive at destination. Can God? God can sustain. Somebody said, preacher, aren't you afraid you'll fall from grace? No, sir. If I was afraid I was going to fall from grace, I'd start apologizing to the devil. Because I should have talked about that rascal. But if I thought he'd carry me to hell, I'd try to get on better terms with him than I am. But I don't believe he'd carry me to hell. I believe I'm sustained from losing my salvation. I'm going to heaven. Can God? God can. Then number three, God can satisfy. Amen. I'm not as young as I used to be, but I never have found anything equal to what I've been enjoying tonight, brother. That's a, that's a thing. God satisfies. Give me old time religion. Take the world, but give me Jesus. I'd rather be an old time Christian than anything I know. Say, preacher, don't you wish you smoked and drank? No. No. Why in the world would I want to smoke? Why in the world would I want to drink cocktails? I'll drink your orange juice, your water, your tomato juice. I'll do all that kind of drink. In fact, I'll do more of that than I need to, I guess. But why would I have to drink a cocktail? Why would I want to drink beer? God can satisfy me. I'm drinking out of a fountain that'll never run dry. Amen. And the water's never bitter. It's always sweet. And the more I drink of it, the more I want. You think I'd get satisfied and, and stop being an old-fashioned preacher. But you know, the more of God I get, the more I want of God. He just blesses me and satisfies me more than I have a heart thought he could do. Can God? God can satisfy. And then number four, can God supply? God can supply all your needs according to the riches. His riches by Christ Jesus, our Lord. God can supply your needs. Open your mouth wide. God can fill it. Watch everything you desire. When you pray, believe, and you shall have your petition. This is the confidence of having God. Now, when I pray, he has it. And if he has it, he's able to supply whatever 
petition I may need. According to his will, I can get it. I can supply all your needs, every need. You know, it's an amazing thing. I hear of people who are hungry and naked and starving, but I have never found a believing, tithing Baptist naked or hungry. Never. I said a believing, faithful, obedient, tithing Baptist, I have never found on the breadline. I have my first one to find on the breadline. God can supply your need. He can take care of your need. Now, you may get to the point in your life where you feel like everything is lost and God can't and you're doomed to failure. But I have yet to find the first child of God to whom the Lord did not supply his needs. If you're obedient and faithful and tired, God will supply your needs. Can God? God can. Say, Brother Harold, I'm afraid of old age. And when I get old, what in the world shall I do when my husband dies, or my wife dies, or my family's all gone, and I'm the last of the left? What can I do? Your husband may die, your wife may die, your children may pass away, but I'd like to remind you, God will never die. Amen. Can God? God can supply your needs. Yes. He sent ravens down to Elijah, and he was running from Jezebel when he should have been standing for God. And he was hiding in the cave when he should have been on the street corner preaching the gospel. But God had his eye upon Elijah even so. And Elijah thought he was going to starve to death. And God said to the ravens, care and bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat at night. You can't hardly beat God's hamburgers to save your life. That's right, brother. Hardest is not so bad, but God's a far better than your heart is. God will supply your needs. God can supply your need. You say, preacher, you talk foolishly. No, I'm not talking foolishly. Israel needed water. They got it from deep, great depths. Israel needed bread. God sent angel food. Uh, Israel needed meat. God sent the best, the quails. Uh, Israel needed clothing. God fixed it up so the shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. God, Israel needed help, and God fixed it so that none of them got sick. So far as we know, those that died didn't get sick, they just died. I don't read in the Bible anywhere that any of those two million got sick in the wilderness. They might have, but I don't read it in the Bible. And uh, everything was just fine. God supplied every need that Israel had. Can God? God can. What do you need? Tell the Lord. I made this statement the other day, and this is humble. If I know my heart, I wouldn't say it otherwise. God has given to me everything I've ever asked for since I've been preaching. Isn't that something? Oh, the preacher, you're the patent. Oh, wait a minute. You can get anything you need from God if you'll ask him. Now, you may not get some foolish, foolish wine or foolish fancy or something you don't need, but I say anything that you can, that you need and can use to God's glory, God will give you that. He'll give you that. If you'll ask him, can God? God can supply your need, whatever it may be. There is nothing impossible with God. What do you need? What do you need? I say that to the Bible Institute students. What do you need? I say that to you mothers and dads. What do you need? Why don't you tell the Lord? Go to the closet and shut the door and get on your knees and spread it out before the Lord. Say, now, Lord, here it is. I need this. I'm asking not selfishly. But I'm asking for my family and for your glory. Now give it to me. And then get up and expect it. It's coming. It's bound to come. And God, God can supply. 
every need that you have. And then number five, can God be sufficient for any crises and every crisis? Uh, is, is there any potential of God failing? If I come to a dilemma, if I get to a crisis, and maybe God doesn't measure to that dilemma, maybe God's not able to meet that crisis, is there any possibility of that? No, my friend. God will meet every crossroad before you get to it. God will clear every pathway before you before you tread it. God will clear everything out of the way before you get to that point. God can be sufficient. Whatever the crises may be, whatever the need might be, God can be sufficient in your life. And then last but not least, can God shield? God can. He's my seed in high tower. He's my covert in the time of storm. He's my shield and my buckler. He's my King of kings and Lord of lords. He's my mighty monarch and everlasting father. Can God shield? God can shield you from any harm or danger, even from the devil or the demons. God can. Israel said, can God. The world is still saying, can God. But we need to believe the Bible. We don't say that. We say, God can. 